Let's do this thing. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. It's either going to be a nightmare or it's going to be really good. No, but either way, we're going to have a good time. The views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. The date is December 7th of 2022, and I have the distinct honor and privilege of having Skylar Skinner with me. Skylar, how you doing today? <laughs> distinct makes me feel special. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm making it, dude. Good. Making Very it. good. Uh, Skylar's really good people. Um, we actually met when I, no, we met whenever, we met during like different EMS calls and stuff like that, medical calls, whatever, because you work at, what agency do you work at? A lot of them. I work full-time for St. George City, and I work kind of full-time, but part-time on paper for Dameron Valley. And I am also part-time for Washington City. So we, like, we've met on different calls and stuff like that, but Skylar's very involved in the Dameron Valley Fire Academy. And I was going to do that. I went to the orientation, had, like, my bunker gear, all of that stuff. I was so ready. And then the room was too cold. You asked one question, <laughs> and it was, is it always going to be this cold in here? <laughs> and I never saw you again. <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus. I'm doing it. Look, I was <laughs> promised I was promised that we'd be going into fires, there would be fire training and all this stuff, and I get there, it's day one, and I literally couldn't feel my fingers. Where's the fire? Uh, it was later. Well, I missed it. Sorry. No, I just, dude, I'm not made to be a firefighter. I, the thought of going into burning buildings, like mad respect for y'all, it is not for me. That is okay. That... Oh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Um, that is the point of the fire academy, other than to, like, teach you how to be a firefighter, right? Um, the purpose of a fire academy is to weed out the ones that are not built to be firefighters or, or not meant to be firefighters. Um, that is a big purpose of the fire academy. So that's okay. It was going to be a good one, and from what I've heard from the people still in it, it is a good one, so. I'm having a good time. I would hope so. <laughs> but um, Skyler's got a whole bunch of stuff behind his name. He's an advanced EMT, an EMS training officer, an EMS instructor, and in the fire realm. His credentials include Fire 1 and 2. He's a fire instructor, Wildland, Firefighter 1, Fire Officer 1, something with rope rescue and areas of <laughs> apparatus if you want to go into those if you want to if you want to tell the people Skylar tell the people who you are and what you stand for um you pretty much covered it pretty good uh those certifications sound really good and they make me sound really good but they don't really make me that special um your Fire 1 and 2 certifications, those are the ones that you get when you do your Fire Academy. So I've had those for a really long time. And then your, like the Wildland Firefighter, it, 
it's just your basic wildland firefighter. Um, the ones that really, you, when you start getting into, um, we'll call them specialty areas, are your fire instructor, your fire officer, your uh, rope rescue certifications, and then the areas of apparatus. So you have an apparatus driver operator dash pumper, and that is so that you can drive and engineer the engines. And then you have your apparatus driver operator aerial, and that is so you can drive and operate or engineer the ladder trucks. So I didn't realize, like, going when I initially was going to go into the fire academy, there's different levels. I thought just whoever and anybody could drive the fire truck. That is not how it works. Not most places. Some places it is. Uh, where I first started, we didn't have any certified engineers, is what we call them. Um, and so whoever was on that day, they kind of just decided who was driving and who was riding in the passenger seat. Uh, but in your more, like your full-time departments, uh, you have to actually be certified. And it's not even just who drives or who operates the, the hoses and the buttons to make all the water come out, all that. It's also, there's a very specific way to get into the fire truck. That blew my mind. I don't know why. That's the thing that I was like, wait, this is so much more. I don't know if I can do the academy because... I couldn't figure out, like, I couldn't master how to get in and out because there's, like, different points of, like, you grab this, then you grab that, then you got to do this, and you can't let go. I couldn't do it. That's only for the Fire Academy. They do have skills where their bullet points say you have to maintain three points of contact getting into and out of the apparatus. But uh, in real life, and there's a very distinct difference, I'm sure you know, uh, between real life and <laughs> Fire Academy life. Um, obviously you don't want to just like jump out of the engine. That's how you blow your knees out. But, um, you, it's, I mean, you get into your car just fine. It's not really a big difference. <laughs> I assume you get into your car just fine. I don't know. I eventually make it into the driver's seat. Got it. Very good. So, um, go ahead. Tell me how long have you been a firefighter? Like, what is your story? What? What made you take the leap? Why firefighting and all? The the fire service is the best job that I never gave a second of thought to in my entire life uh, until I got into it. I did my EMT basic class in 2013. My dad recommended that I take it. He said that he thought I would like it. And so I did my EMT basic class through... Dixie College is what it was at the time, and I went right into my advanced class after that. I went to work for up by Zion, and I worked on their ambulance as an advanced EMT, and they were really hurting for firefighters. They, they needed more, and so I started going to fire trainings, and the more I went and trained with the firefighters and kind of realized what it was all about. It made me realize that that was something that I wanted to do. And a few years later, I did my fire academy through a local department. <laughs> 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 
and I never looked back. Um, I, I think it's the greatest, and really there's nothing else that I would rather do. As far as the firefighter realm, world, whatever, what is it that made you want to go into the educational aspect side of it? My fire academy was not what I expected it would be. Um, I left my fire academy feeling very inadequate, not ready for the job. And it took me a really long time to feel like I could perform at the level that I needed to perform at on fire calls. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable doing that. And I don't think that that is good. I think that it, when you leave your fire academy, you should be ready to get on the truck the next day and do your job much like I'm assuming the paramedic course is, much like my advanced class was. And so I always told myself that should I ever get the opportunity to be in charge of a fire academy, I would make sure that anybody that goes through my academy was ready for the job the next day. No, I really like that because kind of like you talked about with paramedicine, with advanced EMT school, with any type of schooling or education or training, whatever it is, where, I mean, at the end of the day, you are important because, like with us, with the EMS side, people's lives are in our hands. Within the fire aspect, it's not even just, oh, this house is on fire. It's, y'all do so much more like extrication and anything like, I know one of the elevator breaks down, the firefighters, <laughs> <laughs> the real heroes. The elevator in. rescues. <laughs> That should be an extra certification. That one would make me feel special. Elevator res rescue technician. I'm in. Go ahead and set that up. I, think, I will. I think I'll sign up for that one. I'll Kay. actually go through with it. I'll make sure there's no prereqs. I'll see you next year for it. But um, it's stuff that, like, you have to be able to, once you're out, it's not like an on-the-job training. You need to know this from day one. So totally can stand behind that. We had a kid when I was doing my fire academy who was supposed to be in the academy. And when he found out that like he had to actually come and train, that it was not on the job training, he didn't want to do it. That has always blown my mind that he thought he could just come get on the engine and learn as he went. And that's not the case. Fire departments, they take a, an all hazards approach. So it's not just putting out fires, like you mentioned, it's extrication and elevator rescues, um, but you also get into like hazmat response and trench rescue and structure collapse and rope rescue and all, all those different kinds of things. So you kind of have to, you have to have training and know what you're doing before you can get on an engine and go to work. So... Go ahead and tell me about the agency that you work for. What what makes it so special? Why that agency out of all the agencies you could have picked? What, what's the directional path? I, as much as I love them, did not really pick Dameron Valley. Um, my One of my best friends is a captain up there. He was hired on before I was. Uh, he saw the need for 
some good instructors, and he and I were living together at the time, and he approached me and asked if I would be willing to come up and help with a fire academy that was that they were on the tail end of. And it sounded like fun, so I went up there, and they just have never told me to leave. It was two years later. <laughs> or they keep giving you hints, and you're not picking or them up. Or <laughs> I am just oblivious to the hints. <laughs> no. Um, okay, very cool. I'm going to take that out. I hate when I do stupid side buttons. Okay. So with the fire academy that you're at, with the... With the fire department that you're with, with the fire academy, all of those things, go ahead and for myself, because I never really went through with it, um, for myself and the listeners, go ahead and give me like a rundown of the structure of the fire academy. Like, what do the candidates learn and why is it so beneficial besides how to get in and out of the fire truck? Well, first, there's always next year. We do an academy every year. You can come back. I might. I might. Just, just come check it out. It'll be okay. We don't yell that much. <laughs> that much. <laughs> uh, so as far as the structure of the fire academy goes, it is in total almost five months long. It's four months and a few weeks, including testing. In the fire academy, you get your fire one, fire two certifications. And, and with that, we teach you how to get in and out of the truck. We teach you how to put out fires, uh, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more uh, science-driven approach to how we put out fires and how we approach fires and things like that. We also teach forcible entry, uh, trying to break into houses legally, essentially. I know, it sounds crazy, <laughs> but we teach it. And then after that, we get into the hazmat awareness and hazmat operations classes. Those are federal requirements. The state will actually hold your fire certifications hostage until you get your hazmat certifications. And in that, uh, mostly we teach you how to read a little orange book called an ERG, an emergency response guide, and identify any potential hazards and how to make it not your problem. And you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm not. Um, it teaches you how to find the little three or four digit number, and you can figure out that 1903 is, I think, gasoline or something like that. And then you report that back to dispatch, and they will send somebody else out that is way smarter than us. Well, that's a whole lot easier <laughs> than what I thought it was going to be. Like, as far as whenever, like, I know whenever there's a wreck or something like that, they're like, you know, they call for fire because they're like, oh, there's liquid and stuff like that. Y'all just go and you're like, oh, there it is. And then you call somebody else? We don't call somebody else on that. No, that one's pretty easy. We throw secret time. We throw a bunch of kitty litter down and we sweep <laughs> it up. It is nothing special. It's not, <laughs> like, super hazmat absorbent, ground up. Something or other? No, it's kitty litter. Sometimes it's floor dry. We get it like AutoZone. Uh, but we throw that on the ground, and we soak up all the oil or windshield washer fluid or whatever it may be. We sweep it up, and then we go back to the station. 
So you're telling me we can keep kitty litter on the ambulance and just do it ourselves? If you would be so kind as to do that, yeah. <laughs> but why would we do that? <laughs> Dude, if we did that, I would miss out on seeing some of the special crews that I know and adore. Because we would appreciate you so much more. <laughs> so what you're saying because is... Because it's not your job to do that. Your job on a car accident is patient care. Our job is... So in the fire academy, this will be good for you for next year. In the fire academy, you learn uh, there are three things that kind of as a blanket statement are the fire department's responsibility. And the acronym is LIP. Life Safety, Incident Stabilization, Property Conservation. So the life safety uh, is not only like the patient care side of things that we do, um, but a lot of times it is as simple as making sure that the road isn't slick uh, due to a puddle of oil that causes another accident. That falls on the fire department. So we go and throw some kitty litter down and take care of it. That makes a lot more sense. So it's not just that you don't want to be interrupted from your little lunch y'all are making, but it's literally not our job. They are fantastic lunches, but yes, <laughs> it's not. It, it's not your responsibility. You've got other things on your plate that you got to do. Speaking of lunch and all the cool things that firefighters get to do, before that, they do have to go through the academy. What is your ideal way of teaching a fire academy class? Like how... How do you see the class being held that's the most beneficial to the candidate? Because you're talking about like improving the way it's taught, but what does that look like in your eyes, in your perspective? There's a lot of things that we do in Dameron Valley that are very different from what I've seen in other fire academies in the area. And in my opinion, it's... The small things that make the biggest difference, uh, for instance, in the academy that I'm running right now, they have a class flag. And the class flag, it's got Dameron Valley Training Center emblem on it. It has a phrase in Latin that I'm not even going to try and pronounce, but it means strength through knowledge. And they have to take this flag with them wherever they go. They are in charge of that flag. If they don't have that flag with them wherever they go, and I'm very proud of them, it's only happened one time, I get to take the flag, and they have to earn it back. And there's a lot of different thoughts behind why we did this. Uh, the chief in Dameron Valley, Chief Hennessy, he spent a lot of his military career training pararescuemen. And one of the things that they do, and I'm going to slaughter this whole story, so I apologize now. <laughs> one of the things that they do uh, is when the pararescuemen are going through their in-dock classes, they have this white rope. And the rope goes with them everywhere they go. They're in the pool. The rope is coiled up nicely by the pool. If they're out on the training ground, the rope is with them. On the training ground, if they're in the classroom, the rope is with them in the classroom. And the thought kind of behind it is that is the same rope that has been a part of all of the pararescuing classes before them 
and will continue to be a part of all of the pararescuing classes after them. So it creates a little bit of sentimental buy-in. Um, it, it gives them something to do as a group, and it, it creates this sense of belonging, and I think little things like that help a ton. The other thing that we do, and we did this in my academy, is we start every day with a line of duty death. FEMA puts out, uh, anytime a firefighter dies in the line of duty, they put out uh, kind of a notice of memorandum about that line of duty death. And the reason why they do this is so that fire departments can train on what happened so that it doesn't happen to us. And so to kind of honor uh, that fallen firefighter, we will cover not necessarily the most recent one, but one that whatever fire candidate is doing the line of duty death found interesting. And we'll kind of do a little bit, a little training on that at the start of class or at the end of class. The biggest thing is a lot of academies, I think, are really afraid to kind of bring the heat with their fire academy candidates. And I told them all on day one, this is not Marine Corps basic training in Paris Island, but I will yell at you. And there will come a time in the academy where every single one of you will hate me. And I'm okay with that. But this is a dangerous job, and it's a very high-stress job, and you have to be prepared for that. In the academy, it doesn't really allow for a lot of live fire training. We do, we do a little bit of that, so they get that level of stress, but not as much as I would like. And so as instructors we kind of have to find a different way to amp up the stress a little bit. So if they are failing to perform or going too slow or doing something wrong, we're going to get a little bit loud, and they're going to have to figure it out. And it sounds terrible, but that it's just the way that it has to be sometimes. You, you have to bring that level of stress. It's kind of like a quote that I heard one time of, um... If you add stress in your training, when the actual real-life stress comes around, you're used to it, and it doesn't add extra, like, adrenaline dump and just that I-don't-know-what-I'm-doing-right-now kind of flustered feeling. So, When things get really stressful and things are going really bad, you're going to fall back to your level of training. So if your level of training is very mundane and mediocre, that might not be sufficient, and the kind of person that I am, I would feel really bad if one of my fire academy candidates got out on the floor on the truck and they got hurt because they fell back to their level of training being my fire academy. And so I, I want to make sure that the level of training that they fall back on is better than average, at least, hopefully. From what I've heard, it's really good, so congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am not one to toot my own horn, but I'm going to. Um... <laughs> you had so much humility, and this is where it comes to and a it's, head. And it's all, it's all gone. Dameron Valley Training Center has a very good track record right now. In the last two academies that I have been a part of, we have had four academy candidates 
get out of the academy, test one time for St. George City, and make full-time their very first time testing. We've gone four for four. We have gone three for three with academy candidates getting out of the fire academy and getting on full-time in Washington City. We've gone two for two with Santa Clara Ivans, one, in, one of them being my father. I'm very proud of him. And we have had one, potentially two, people go from being in our academy or a part of our academy and getting accepted into Clark County or Las Vegas fire. Which is not something to, that's not an easy task. It's not. I consider myself pretty good at my job, like kind of just okay, you know. It took me five times testing between two departments to get on full-time somewhere. So for these, and, and I was not fresh out of my academy. I had some experience. So for these guys to get out of their academy and perform at such a level that they're able to test well enough to get on these departments their first time testing speaks a lot to not myself but the program that me and my cadre run so with all of this insight into the fire education realm and your ideas and what you want to do and what you want to implement where do you see the future of fire education going because apparently it's more than just this thing is on fire, grab a hose. There is a lot more to that, yes. Um, we we won't, don't really need to get into that. Unless you want to, we'll talk about it all night. <laughs> um, the Put it however you need to, nice or not. It's got to be nice. They're kind of my bosses. Um, Put it very nicely. <laughs> the agency who certifies firefighters in the area, wants to go to a hybrid fire academy course where you do part self-study. So you get the chapters, you get the book, you read through that, and then you come to a fire station and you do the skills. You take your tests, written and skills tests, and then you're a firefighter. Me personally, I don't, I, it's terrible. That's a terrible idea. Um, I think you're going to see the success rate significantly drop. And I think you're going to see the caliber of firefighters that are produced from a hybrid course like that significantly drop as well. I have learned more from my certification courses, not necessarily from the bookwork or the PowerPoints or even the skills, like the, the bullet point sheets that you get. I have learned more from the instructors and having the side conversations with them and having them be able to put their, their experience into it and their own personal style of teaching into it than just reading from a PowerPoint. I, I do think that that is the most important aspect of teaching, is to be able to put your experience and your kind of teaching style into whatever it is that you're teaching. Um, 
And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to keep running my fire academies all in person. I, I think that that kind of thing is too valuable to skip. From someone who personally, uh, my paramedic program was like the hybrid where you have your lectures and stuff, but it's a lot of self-study. And you have your tests, your quizzes, your exam, all that. Then we have three weeks out of the whole program, like three separate weeks, where we go and we do our skills. And we take our big, big, big tests and stuff like that. And, like, I learned well enough because I pushed myself. But I know other people who struggle because not everybody can self-teach. And not everybody can excel like that. Like, not, not everybody who went through Zoom College 101 past and is actually doing anything so like I 100% agree with the, the personal aspect and like the having that in person and everybody has different teaching like capabilities and everybody teaches in different ways and you, sure. when you lose that and especially that personable experience you lose so much like educational opportunities and you don't retain the same way like reading out of a book or watching a computer screen as you do with someone explaining things to you. So I 100% support you in that. The hard thing about doing a self-study fire academy is nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, most people in a fire academy have never done fire before. That's the, the whole point of a fire academy is to get your basic certifications. So to hand somebody a book and say, read this, learn everything in it, is, I would even bear to say, impossible. They, that background knowledge just isn't there. There are some fire certifications that you can self-study and do just fine at and come out the other side an excellent fire instructor. The fire academy is not one of those certifications that needs to be in person. There needs to be somebody that can answer the questions and break the information down and make sense of everything for all of these people that have never done this before. Um, I kind of want to go into other questions. Do you have anything else to add about the Fire Academy, Fire Education, anything? Nope. Because it was really good stuff. I could talk about it all day, but we can move on. Um. This one's still related to fire and whatnot, and the last couple of questions will be, but the last couple will be a little more on the personal level of you and your profession. But what are your thoughts on the fire department going on EMS calls? Because I have some thoughts, but I just want to hear from the horse's mouth. What's uh, what's the deal? Because sometimes the fire department doesn't show up on Alpha and Bravo calls. In my opinion... <laughs> I do think that the fire department should respond to most EMS calls. And I see the look you're giving me, and you don't agree with me, but we're going to talk about it, and it's going to be okay. I'm going to partly answer your question with another question. When your pager goes off, and you have ran all day long, and dispatch tells you, that it's a lift assist, do you kind of go, oh, okay, that one's not for us? Perhaps. <laughs> okay, my point is, there is a mindset that when you work for a fire department, all you do all day when you're not on calls is sit around 
and play on the Xbox and make really good food. We do make really good food. <laughs> Why am I never invited to lunch, though? You are more than welcome to come by Station 9 anytime you want on an A-shift day. I can't <laughs> speak for the other two A-shifts. The other two. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't... I just had a stroke. I was about to say, this is now a medical call. You are more than welcome to come by Station 9 on any A-shift today. I can't speak for the other two shifts. Oh, that was hard to say. Where was I going? Oh, yes. The fire department has a lot of other responsibilities that we do throughout the day. Like, we have business inspections to do. So every year, all the businesses in St. George have to have a yearly fire inspection. And some of them can take 10 minutes. Some of them, like the hotels and bigger restaurants, they can take two, three hours. I've done business inspections split between two tours before. We also do hydrant inspections every year. We have to check, I think, like 80% of the fire hydrants, make sure that, one, we can actually get them open. They like to rust closed. They actually work. We can get water out of them. We have to uh, pressure check them, so we'll actually see what kind of pressure we get out of them how much water we can get out of them, things like that. We also do things like uh, smoke detector battery changes. We'll go to people's houses and change their smoke detector batteries for them. So it's not like we're just sitting around and doing absolutely nothing. So sometimes it is nice to know that the ambulance service has this one covered. They will call us if they need us, and we will gladly go. But sometimes it's nice to not have to run 800 calls a day and do all of that other stuff that we have to do as well. Now, there are slower stations that we could probably respond to more calls on while we are there. But I can argue both sides because in the other two departments that I work for, we go on all of the calls. And the thought behind that is, it's our city, it's our citizens that are paying for us to be at work. They pay for the trucks, they pay for the station, they pay for all of that. We should be there for them. So, I can argue both sides. I would love to know what you think, though. So, personally, me, myself, and I, again, from the intro blurb, <laughs> not any agency I'm affiliated with. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it's just kind of frustrating when, like, some of the Alpha and Bravo lower-level calls we have, they're intense. It's not just, like, oh, Meemaw didn't just fall. Meemaw fell, she's on the ground, she's been on the ground for hours, actually, she's bleeding from her head, and, like, now we have to call y'all and wait for y'all. When, even, like, sometimes it's this thing where it's like, oh, well, uh, 80-something-year-old female... She's on the ground, possible hip fracture, blah, 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 blah. And then dispatch, I don't even fully blame y'all because dispatch would be like, uh, engine, whatever, or ladder, whatever, y'all can cancel. And that's frustrating because it's like, give them the option. So I personally get over the radio and I'm like, you know, whatever unit number I'm on, I'm like, can you actually continue fire in on this in case we need help? Not that I'm being a little butthole, but like... <laughs> I'm also not trying to blow my back out for Meemaw. Sorry, Meemaw. I've got a 
body to uphold for the next God knows how many years and I'm stuck on this earth. I've got 23 left. <laughs> I'm trying to save my back. Exactly. For that long at least. Exactly. So. I get it. It's so. It's also, like you said, the taxpayer dollars. I've literally had a call and it's just me and my partner showing up and they asked, where's the fire truck? And I said, great question. They didn't want to be here, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. And they said, quote, don't we pay for that? I said, take it up with them, not me. What's going on today? <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. Yep. But that's just where that's just where we're at. But at the same time, I, yeah. the lift assist comment, dude, there was one that went out at 4 o'clock in the morning the other day, and Mama was not here for it. So I was not upset. I'm just going to be very honest. I was I was like, you know what? The fire department, they're pretty stellar guys. We appreciate them so much. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hint of sarcasm in there, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, I get it. Um, I don't get to make those kinds of decisions. And I'm glad that I don't have to. Um, I've worked for two different transport agencies, and I I will say that it is nice knowing that the engine is on its way, or walking in the door with you, and knowing that you have that that backup. Facts. No, that's one hundred percent. Especially like on the cardiac arrest and. Charlie's, Delta's, whatever, where, like, you can get through the call, just you and your partner, but whenever you have another crew of, like, three, four, five, however many people, and it's, like, competent people, it makes such a difference. If nothing else, it keeps you, like, it gives you a little bit of calm in that situation where you need it the most. So Absolutely. Especially whenever it's a crew that's competent. I can't stress that enough, and I'm not going to go into that. Nope, me either. So. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> now going into the personal aspect questions. Skylar Skinner, tell me, what keeps you going in fire, and what helps prevent burnout for you? So this is one of the questions that I did look over when you sent them to me, and I was trying to think of how to answer it, and... The answer that I came up with, I was told that I should table and maybe give a little bit more thought to, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't remember what movie it is, but it, one of the Hulk movies, and Hulk says, that's the secret, I'm always angry, and then he just, like, turns into the Hulk, right? He's just, like, always ready to go. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of, maybe. A little bit, yeah. It might be an Avenger movie. I don't know. I feel like but it's an Avenger movie. Somebody says that we need the Hulk, and Bruce Banner's like, that's the secret, I'm always angry. And then he turns into the Hulk and just wrecks a bunch of stuff. So, I'm pretty much always burnt out. <laughs> so, I don't have a good answer as to how I prevent myself from being burnt out. Other than, there is, for me an acceptable level of being burnt out that I know that I can handle. And I just have to really listen to my body 
and when it tells me that I need a break, I need to take a break, or I'll maybe break down. But I, I've always worked a lot, and I've always been very motivated. And because of that, it has afforded me a lot of opportunities that I'm very grateful for that I have at a very young age, very early in my career, that I don't think that I would have if I didn't work this hard. And so I just plan on to keep working until I can't anymore. I may as well do it now while I'm fairly young and my body will let me. That's not the answer you were expecting, huh? It's not. No, it but, is not. But that's my answer. But I can get behind it, though. And and there's a certain degree of truth of, especially like the, I'm always burnt out. Like, there are days when I literally can't wait to get to work because I just love my job. But then there are most days when it's it's just a job. It is, and it gets kind of mundane, especially you pull in those overtime hours and you get to hour five hundred and seven out of five hundred and eight and it's like, all right, we've got to, you've got to be kidding me. This is ha this has to be over soon. So yeah. Between the fire academy, my part time job, and my full time job, I have worked seventeen days straight. Today's my first day off. And I even went in today for a little bit. But that's just not healthy. I don't feel unhealthy. <laughs> Catch me not doing that. I know, I, <laughs> dude. I know I work a lot, but that's not. Nah, I'm good. Not doing that ever. Jesus Christ. Um. So on that note, how do <laughs> after your 17 days straight? How do you balance your work and personal life? And, like, how do you decompress? Especially with the idea of, like, always kind of burn out and you do so much. Oh, God. 17 days. My family and friend group is very supportive of me. Uh, most of my friends work for either my full-time department or part-time department. And so they are kind of doing it with me. Or they work for another department, or they at least have some sort of understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do. And so they are very understanding. The most important thing is really just to make the most of the days off when you get them. And sometimes that just means sleeping all day and doing nothing. And sometimes it means doing house chores all day because they've been neglected. And sometimes it means that you get to go out and do fun things. But you really just have to make sure that you make the most of your days off when you get them. I kind of hold strong to the idea of, like, there's other things I want to study. And there's things I need to study for work and whatnot. And you have to, you know stay refreshed and stay up to date and knowledge and there's so much out there with EMS and the fire aspect too. I I don't do that every day of my my days off just because like if I do then it's like I'm at work when I'm at home and I I'll pick like one day a week to where I just do that and I study and I do whatever but like I can't do that continuously cuz it's again you're at work 
at home. And you got to have that distinction and that balance. Absolutely. So tell me, what is a recent or past call that has challenged you? This is a really hard one for me to answer because my, my crew and my full-time department, they are studs. They're very smart. And even if I get to a point where like, I'm stumped or I don't really know what to do or how we should do something, uh, they, they're always right there and they, they always have an idea. It always seems to work out. I don't know if it's luck or they're very smart. Probably the second one. Um, the, the one that keeps coming to mind, though, is a little depressing. Um, we went on a really bad accident in the gorge where a Mustang ended up under a semi-truck trailer with people still stuck inside of the Mustang. And you know a little, like, drop bar that comes down off the back of the trailer? You're supposed to keep cars from coming under it? Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? They are very sturdy. Uh, and Like, back to the fire academy when we teach vehicle extrication, if you need something open, you take your cutters or you take your spreaders and you open that. Or if you need something off of a vehicle, you take your cutters and you take your spreaders and you remove that said thing from the vehicle. Uh, that little drop bar thing is very sturdy and the cutters couldn't get through it. The K-12, our rotary saw, couldn't get through it. Um, we tried to lift the trailer with some of our airbags that we have and we broke one of the airbags and so it was kind of stressful um, for, for a little bit. It kind of seemed like nothing that we were trying was working. Um, eventually, we kind of figured it out and was able to get up under the trailer that we lifted up just enough to get one of the doors on the Mustang open. Um, but that, that's the one that comes to mind, and, and it brings up a good point of, Doing something is always better than doing nothing, and that's something that I try and teach in the academy is we can give you all of this knowledge, right? And I can sit here and talk to you until I'm blue in the face, but I can't teach you everything. There's going to come a time where you're going to run into something that you don't know what to do or how to handle, and you just have to try something. Also wasn't ready for that one. Uh, <laughs> we can talk more about that one later if you'd like. I just think that, like, that question, you take it back into the education aspect, and I, I think it kind of brings out the core of, like, your passion for fire education and the fire academy and fire in general. It's, it's evident and not just the way you talk about the educational aspect of, like, the training in class, but in real-life aspects, too, and that's super commendable. Um, next one, when do you leave a shift and think, man, that was a good shift because blank. Oh, when we get to sleep all night for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Say less. Dude, we, I'm not about, never mind. I was about to say 
something, but I don't want to jinx us, so never mind. Yep. Um, no, I don't know. That's kind of a hard question to answer because, like, you can have, like, a real bad shift, and but there's always in that really bad shift, or not bad, really busy shift, and you, you get done and you just feel drained and, like, you just got beat up by, like, a professional boxer or, like, Randy Savage or somebody, you know? Cream of the crop. Yeah. Yep, Ric Flair. But in those shifts, there's there's usually a call that you can look back on and you can feel proud of. And it doesn't have to be like a massive fire that you got put out really fast or like a really bad car accident and it was your idea that worked to get the patients out of the car. Um, sometimes you just look back and think that, the person really needed a different hospice company, and it was your idea to call a different hospice company. Like, even something as, as simple as that, you can look back on and kind of pat yourself on the back and think that that was good. That is what I was supposed to do for the day. So I don't necessarily think I've ever left a shift and think, man, that was a good one. But I've definitely left calls feeling very proud of my crew um, I'm thinking, yeah, we we did really good on that. All all of our training paid off. We we just trained on rope rescue. We got a rope rescue call, and we knew exactly what to do. There's no mess ups, and that was just smooth. We need to do that more often. So, with all of this in mind, what is a piece of advice you give to someone either going into fire, someone already in fire, or someone? who's thinking about it, wants to go into it, but just isn't sure. Come to my fire academy. I'll square you away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, like I said before, fire departments mostly consider themselves all-hazards fire departments. So you kind of have to be a jack-of-all-trades, and that statement or that saying kind of has a negative connotation to it because it's a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. But the whole saying is a jack of all trades but a master of none is better than a jack of all trades and a master of none. I just learned that like three weeks ago. Say and that so, one, say that one okay. more time. A jack-of-all-trades. Gosh, now you're going to make me look it up. <clears throat> now I'm second-guessing myself. Hold on. I wrote it down. Jack-of-all. A jack-of-all-trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. That's good. Yes. That's really so, good. my advice to... Anybody wanting to get into the fire service, there's a few things. Take that saying to heart because you really are going to have to be a jack of all trades. And as you know, like no call is the same. Every chest pain call is different. Every stroke call is different. Every overdose is different. Every seizure is different, right? Every call that you're going to go on is going to be different. And you have to know what to do 
on every call. So your schooling is never done. Just because you get through the fire academy does not mean that you have made it, that you're a firefighter, and that that is good enough. You should always be training and learning and attempting to become a master of your craft, not only to keep yourself safe, but to better serve the citizens that you're supposed to serve. I think is probably my biggest piece of advice. My second one would probably be, like, go be a doctor. <laughs> Why? And go make some money, man. <laughs> make your own schedule. Mostly get to be home at night. No, I'm just kidding. This is the best job in the world. And there really is nothing else that I would want to do. I had this conversation with my mom years ago when I first got into the fire service. And she asked me what my backup plan was if I ever got hurt. And first I thought, thanks for jinxing me. But I told her my backup plan, if I ever cannot be a firefighter anymore, is to teach firefighters. That if I can't be on the truck anymore, I'm going to teach other people how to be on the truck. That's good. Um, I just also want to point out at Panda Express, the general managers, I saw a sign, they make 28 an hour. Oh, yeah. Go do that. Dude, you know how hard that was reading that sign? <laughs> we had had a terrible shift. And reading that sign, it hurt. It hurt deep. Put your resume in. <laughs> no. Um. So, <laughs> last question I got. If you could go back to T-Tiny little Skyler before fire before I would say even EMS and you could tell him something if you could change it all right now would you still take this path to become like to get to where you are today 100% no thought into it yes I would absolutely very good I think that was the best answer um I couldn't imagine you doing anything else but it's also just because I know you in this aspect so I think you're made for it, dude. I think you, your heart's in the right place. You got all the passion for it. You got the skills for it. Thank you. So, um, you got anything else? I don't know. Dude, it was an honor having you on. Appreciate you and all you are. Thank you very much. So with that. So, guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, future topic ideas, please email me at 22attthelipspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Never stop learning and be safe out there, friends. I had it. I was All so ready. My whole family's going to listen to this. Stop. So no Tell pressure. Tell them not to. Wait, go nope. back. <laughs> I already sent him the link. All I got to do is just say, hey, I'm famous now. I'm famous. And they're going to listen to it. <laughs> Whatever. Don't say it. You'll have to bleep it out. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>